podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, here it goes. Welcome to Played in Full, where we are halved today. So today's episode is just featuring myself, Jude, and Ross. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. Like, um, episode seven, we're here to talk about the flesh. I'm good. I'm feeling better. Last week, we were like, in the wars, obviously, hay fever, weren't really feeling too great. But how are you, man? I mean, yeah, I'm so much better now. I was going to say, they've got the two people who are the three to be the usually the worst <laughs> from the hay fever. I was going to say, so you know, thank God, like, it's we've leveled out. Otherwise, this would have been the worst episode yet. You look less flushed, if I can say, say myself. I, I feel so much better. I think it's also the eyes. Like, I kind of, as I said last week in the office, everyone's just kind of looking at you like you've just been crying your eyes out. Or just someone said, like, your it. eyes are puffy as hell. It's like, <laughs> thanks. And this week, yeah, it's man. like no one's saying anything. So I'm just like, okay, I've got to take that as a positive. Yeah, no, that's a win. You know what? I haven't, yeah, this week I haven't been suffering from hay fever, but yesterday I did have a little line by accident on the canal path <laughs> from oh that gosh. stone bridge towards um, Central. And it was just chaotic, man. So I'm feeling rough, but it's more like bodily rough, like loads of little scratches on my body and stuff. But Oh, man. Yeah, man. We're good. We're tough, right? Exactly. But yeah, man. Like, um, today, obviously, we wanted to do like a, a full episode on the flesh, but we're going to spare you a full episode because we want CJ and Scully to get back in order to do an entire roundup of that film because I feel like there's so much we could say about it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about um, The Flash. Well, obviously, at, at first, we should just talk about like what we're actually watching, a little bit catch up here and there, talk about The Flash, and then we're going to touch on Black Mirror a bit, actually, right? Yeah, I mean, season six just came out, I think it was like last week, tail end of last yeah. week. I've I've fully caught up with it now, actually. I just finished it kind of with my girlfriend wow. over the weekend. You know uh, what, yeah, I can't lie. I have been so, I've been put off. I feel like I've got the ick of Black Mirror and I feel like it's fallen into, it's fallen into a space of like TV or films that I'll watch respectfully when I have the time. When I'm bothered, I'm no longer drawn to it. Like it's not something where I'm like, oh, I have to watch this now. It's come out like, and yeah. it used to command that, and, and it doesn't anymore for me. And that really hurts because I really had Black Mirror the first like three seasons, and even like a majority of four, I had that in like my best TV shows ever kind of category. I literally thought this is an all timer. This is something that we're going to look back one day. And be able to contrast like our reality with how people exist now. Like um, certain episodes literally reflect the state of social media and even the state of AI that we're dealing with today. And I feel like it's just lost that kind of aura. So I didn't give it the respect of watching it in full. I've just watched about, I'd say, three quarters of the second episode, which it was interesting, but. It had me watching more like a drama. It didn't have the Black Mirror feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he came out, Charlie Brooker, kind of as I was reading today, he's done a couple of interviews where he sounded a little bit shitty, if I'm honest, because, you know, like I remember like the first few series of Black Mirror and like you kind of just said, it was kind of like this brilliant sort of like 
sort of scathing satire kind of like on kind of like sort of like with politics and media and then also sort of that kind of like tech dystopian horror and like those first few series i think were just unrivaled i think they were just so good um you know like i remember the one where it's like the whole history of you and he's kind of got like with the, the, the kind of the chips and you can replay everything that you've kind of done and watch it back and i thought all of this kind of stuff is it was creative and inventive and i think the problem that the show's had is first of all when it moved from i think it was channel four across to netflix it got bigger budget and it got bigger production values but then it just kind of started to feel just a little bit stale because it just kind of i think two or three seasons it was really great the christmas special i thought was really good with john ham as well i thought that was one of my favorite episodes actually but then it kind of felt like they'd done it all because like now when i see some of the like even like some of the most recent series so i mean let's say i've seen the whole thing but the one obviously that kicks it off is like jonah's awful and it's just, it's so familiar now that it's its competently made. You've got a good cast in there still. You know, it still looks good, but it is now nothing more than that's kind of fun, but also just completely forgettable. And yeah. I think the one interesting thing from this series, and, you know, if you, if you go on to watch the whole thing, is there's Red Mirror now. And Red Mirror was basically not tech, not kind of like satire. It was just more kind of like demonic possession. And it was meant to kind of be like what was meant to be a sister series. So Charlie Brooker said, actually, he started with that episode and thought instead of doing Black Mirror, maybe I should do a whole series like this. And there's another episode that kind of goes into that sort of territory, but is still considered normal Black Mirror. And that one was still, it was fine. I think it's just kind of run its course. And I just think there's not too many stories to tell, at least kind of in that kind of frame. Because they're almost like mini movies as well, because, you know, they're clocking in at nearly an hour long. Mm. And you kind of think, I'd almost rather at this point, he kind of compile the resources and like the scripts and he just make like a feature length film yeah. and not one that's like one of his like years in review or like kind of one of his other satire stuff. Just make a really competent, strong, like tech horror that's like two hours long rather than just kind of these smaller stories that are, I think are fine, but have just kind of lost their edge. Yeah, that edge for me is completely gone. And um, I'm not sure if the episode you were referring to was that second episode. I forgot what it's called. Um, no, that one's um, the filmmaker Lock Henry. Yeah. Yeah. And Lock Henry, like, they still do, like, some cool things. Like, so that one's obviously kind of riffing off the fact that everyone's obsessed with uh, true crime nowadays. So he does some, he, they do nice things within the series, like, oh, okay, you're taking something that's really kind of popular and you're trying to put your spin on it. Mm. Um, but it, again, like, it's also kind of been done, I think, better by the series that are out there, you know, like, so when you see some of the comedies that are kind of going on, like the true crime, some of those have already been done a lot more creatively, a lot more fun. And I kind of think, you know, oh, this is, this is cool. You told an okay story, but once it's kind of over, you kind of think, yeah, that's, I'm not as captivated and hooked as perhaps in the past. Yeah. You know what? That's, it's really interesting. You, you say that like um, in contrast to that, the other TV shows or films that approach these ideas and give it the respect of much more of a fuller story. And I feel like because they're contained in like hour or maybe 45 minute stories, it's so hard to deliver that well. And what I feel like the original series, one thing I did do is I wanted to start Black Mirror all over again because I knew this season I probably wouldn't appreciate it the same. So let me take myself through a roller coaster of all of the episodes and the seasons are short, so it's quite doable. 
I zoomed through the first season and the things that captivated me most was it felt theatric. It felt like I was watching short theatre players and really expressive actors who a lot of people refer to them as like kind of nobody actors for, for those times. But actors who were so invested in just selling this idea that it made the story that much more fuller. It made you be attached to the idea and it made you feel like this is something special. And that element of being special is that aura is just gone. I think it's maybe it's because of the way that they're producing these film, these things. And even with that episode that I watched, it felt like, yeah, it felt like, like larger, like a larger production. However, at times it felt like a short film. It felt like a really long short film. And yeah, you know what I mean? I, I, I didn't, I don't come to Black Mirror for that. If I wanted to watch short films in that fashion, I'd go on short of the week. <laughs> just yeah. enjoy our whole stream of like really fascinating ideas but yeah I just feel like maybe Charlie is suffering from he's suffering from the hang up of his early earlier successes and it's being kind of pigeonholed to create from this space and yeah it's got to a point where it's it's mundane it's like overcooked <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that great. I think that is it. Is the fact that like I think also, and you know, I'm sure people might disagree, but I think the interesting thing from kind of like a lot of Charlie Brooker's stuff as well is you look at those early series, and a lot of it was kind of mostly UK cast, and there were names in there that if you are in the UK, you'll recognise from BBC prestige dramas and your ITV shows, but yeah. like not necessarily international celebrities so like you had like toby kebble as a setup when he, he did the entire history of you um mm. and that was like while well, he was big in the uk he'd done things like rock and roller and things like that but then he hadn't quite hit american fame yet and then you know he went on to do planet of the apes um and kind of then kind of hit his kind of okay big marquee kind of status um but you know like it was more grounded and there was a bit more kind of realism in a way to it and i think oh you're more like hooked in and i, think, I you absolutely love that episode by the way yeah love I, that I mean and, and you can tell like that is when black mirror was in its prime because that episode mm-hmm. as well was one that robert downey jr tried to buy the rights for i think bought the rights for so he yeah. could make a feature film of it so you know like those ideas are good and he should be fleshing them out because I think he hit his kind of peak because with that Christmas special, John Han suddenly shows up and you're like, wow, they're getting him to do it now. And, you know, like, but that found like quite a nice culmination because then as soon as it hit Netflix, you know, you've got like these big kind of like mega stars now showing up in it. Yeah. And I remember like not series six, but series five. I remember like striking vipers, the one like Anthony Mackie and yeah, Abdul team. And I was just like, this is this is okay, but like it's it's too familiar. The yeah. kind of draw that they're going on now is, oh, we're going to get this kind of guy from the MCU to be your main character in this one, and I feel That's like right. that is perhaps kind of detracting away from everything else. So you're kind of then stuck with a bit more mundane story, a bit more of a safer kind of approach because you've got mm. a big name. And I didn't bother finishing that kind of the rest of that series because it just didn't interest me. But I noticed the fact that they then had like Miley Cyrus is kind of in there, you know, and yeah. these are all people who they can perform well, but I just don't know are necessarily a good fit. And you look at it kind of this series and even episode one, like Jonah's awful, you know, 
I'm trying not to ruin too much if you haven't seen it yet, but like part of that kind of rests on the fact that, oh, here's a really famous celebrity portraying this person who's then watching their life unfold in real time, portrayed by an actress, um, mm. which in this case is Salma Hayek. And it starts to get a bit too meta. And now they're sort of leaning in on the joke. And, you know, I think Charlie Brooker will say that that's him satirizing, obviously, kind of how Black Mirror's grown and what his kind of career is now. And he's saying it's very kind of like he's in on the joke. But I think it yeah. is more just the fact that he's at the point where he almost feels like he's bored of it. I think he doesn't necessarily want to do it anymore, but Netflix gives him a big bag and, you know, say, go and write some stuff. And it must Netflix... be hard to say no in that, in that position. I always think this. Oh, hundred percent. I'm not such a, such a type of person as well. I can't let things go. Like no. when an idea, when like world building is so great of such an idea or a franchise, I just feel like you can just keep the, cash mongering just coming and going and going and that's obviously when things get stale but it takes such a person to stick to their creative integrity and always just like stick to the thing and you know what it's a bit of a tangent because one i wanted to talk about this but like um netflix are also doing the one piece adaptation and like with the one piece adaptation one Piece is probably the best story that I've ever read. Like, honestly, every single week, Ichiro Oda, like the creator, it's literally nine or 10 out of 10 in terms of him story building. His stories literally relate back from, he's like on a child, um, chapter, like a thousand, almost a thousand, a hundred. And there's still super strong reference points to chapter three. You know what I mean? That's how detailed of like a writer he is and how much grand storytelling goes into into One Piece. And I just feel like when you take a larger idea or story and try to compact it into the format that we're used to, the idea will always be stifled. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think with a lot of these ideas, especially the ones that play on like a play on like real life situations you're taking these big ideas and again, trying to condense them into like the black mirror kind of framework and mode. And mm-hmm. now it's just gotten, it's gotten to a point where it gives me the same feeling that Rick and Morty does. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, we get it. This is an intelligent show and you've injected a lot of intelligent ideas into it. However, it doesn't mean it's the, reference point for everything great when it comes to this type of show and i think two things of this like one i do think is it's true in a, in a creative sense like when it comes to it there must be such a pressure that people extend on it that impedes that the creative process but two it also is just showing like the it's showing the audience is us really the audience are the people that extended onto these things to a point it's yeah, it's just stifling the creativity and the reception of it to a point that I don't yeah. rush to watch a Black Mirror anymore. And another side no. note I wanted to make, Toby Toby Kebble, Rock and Roller. If you haven't seen that film, you have to. It's one of my favourite films of all time. That's all I just want to say. And he's, and he's really good in that as well. He's so Complete good. Kind of like unhinged performance. But, like it's, but yeah, it, it is kind of interesting that I do think that, you know, I've just kind of, you know, and it kind of reminds me because I've just finished Barry. And, you know, I thought Barry was great, 
but you could tell, especially in that final season, that it was starting to feel rushed. And the kind of the rumor going around that basically Bill Hader was done, it was done with it. And you could kind of tell that from his character of Barry is the fact that he started to show up a bit less. He wasn't talking so much. He wasn't really doing so much. And he was obviously more interested in the actual filmmaking creativity side, like of things and the directing in particular, but obviously was stifled by the fact that he had to perform. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of had that feeling where perhaps the final series was rushed to finish Barry so that he can now go out and do, do movies and do his own efforts. And I think, you know, it's kind of interesting then that Charlie Brooker comes out and says, well, actually, the first thing you had in mind was this more like this red mirror, like this d- demonic stuff. Because as I say, I think part of him probably feels, you know what, I've done this to death now. There's not really much else I can say or do. And he's coming out a little bit defensive, saying it's not just about tech, it's about lots of different things. And I think deep down, he probably would have been very happy to do a whole series of just Red Mirror. Mm. And as I say, there's um there's one episode, the one with Zazie Beats, Maisie Day, a bit later on in the series, which feels like a combination of Black and Red Mirror. And I think that's it. And you know, and I would love to have seen three episodes of Red Mirror rather than a whole series of Black Mirror. And I think that's the other thing, you know, as soon as you kind of make it bigger the demands are higher because you know back in the when it was on channel four three episode series so it was not every episode was perfect but it was usually at least very good quality because it was more condensed you had three episodes to kind of tell your stories there was a lot more focus and i think care on each one whereas now it's six or you know five or six a series a lot more kind of going on bigger names bigger production and i think it's just kind of lost its way and you know i'll watch it I'll be kind of entertained. I will forget about it by next week and I'll be on to something else. You know, The Bear season two comes out this week. I'll be on to that. I've just finished uh, the rest of the series, two episodes of Abbott Elementary. I'm on to that. You know, like there's other stuff that will come through that will just push it out of the kind of like consciousness. Um, And, you know, it's a shame because it is a show that I used to really love. I still say to people to go watch it because it's it's not awful by any means, but it's just if you were so like enamored with those first few series and they were your favorite this is just not going to be it because if yeah. i was to think about my favorite episodes i think probably much all of them would be in the first three series or christmas special maybe one or two from like series four but the rest of it is as i say like everything after that it's just too forgettable yeah it's it's so sad man like it's it's so sad well actually i shouldn't say it's sad everything does have a lifeline and if anything this is probably showing that a lot of things that we do watch and crave for, we should probably leave them at kind of like a happy yeah. ending or a good point. So yeah, hopefully if Black Mirror doesn't come back like for another season, like Charlie can move on onto other endeavors that he wants to fulfill. Cause yeah, yeah man, definitely like, a lot of pressure, but yeah, moving on, I think, you know what? We naturally just fell into that, but what else have you been watching before we move on to The Flash? So what else have I been watching? Funnily enough, this week I've gone to more music stuff than actually mm-hmm. kind of um, than kind of actually watching TV and film. So last week, I saw Arctic Monkeys in Southampton Sick. and then saw Tim Key do poetry stand-up last night, which is pretty incredible. And I got called on to start asking, you know, answering some questions, which was slightly nerve wracking, especially because I was like second row. And he's just, <laughs> he was just pointing at me, asking me questions. And you just kind of sat there, like, just be as simple and blunt as you can. Don't get roped <laughs> into this because otherwise you're about to have the worst night of your life. That but that bad. was that was really good. 
And then Friday night, I went with a friend to see Tenacious D at the O2. Sick. And that was incredible. O2 Arena as well. Because I was just like, oh, it must be like the Indigo or something. It must be mm-hmm. like... Like, is there a different? Is you sure it's the O2 Arena? It's not like O2 Brixton or something. Wait, and it was, um, just, it was oh. packed. Oh, what the O2 was, in Greenwich? Yeah, yeah, the actual, yeah, 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 like, yeah, the yeah. O2. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just absolutely rammed, but they were incredible. And we got back, and the next day he kind of messaged me. He says, "I'm watching Pick a Destiny." Mm. And I was like, "Oh shit, maybe I haven't seen that film since I was literally like 12, 13 years old." proper teenage kid movie and it's just come back on amazon prime so i watched that and you know like it's one of those things where i think after seeing him live and getting that massive nostalgia hit i thought i have to have to do it and if you're honest it's not a good movie but (laughs) i can't help but enjoy it like it's just so stupid and so dumb and zany that was just like this is just great this is what i kind of need right now just something that's kind of a little bit mindless something that just (laughs) It has no other motive than to just be something stupid to just enjoy for 90 minutes. So that's it. That's what I've kind of been watching, which is kind of really random because there's obviously so much amazing stuff out. And I'm like, there's a connection of just like feel good content through all of that. It's just like, exactly. Yeah. Your week of content just bounced naturally together. And that's good, man. Especially since obviously we want to do the work of reviewing films and content and and that. Like, Mm. so sometimes, some days, those enjoyable moments can just go missing. So yeah, yeah. man, pick up yourself. That's a that's good. And what that also you? reminded me, like, um, yeah, before I even speak about what I was watching, that reminded me of, for some reason, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Because remember, I yeah, shared that to yeah. the group chat, and I was just like gassed when I sh- when I shared it. Like one mm-hmm. thing you you probably noticed about me, yeah, but when I'm excited about something, the quality of it doesn't matter at times like i could just be like oh i love this i'm there i'm fully sold i'm happy with it so in sharing that i was like oh that film was sick but i'm there thinking back to when i was a kid and i first saw it i was it was so impressionable to me i went on like imdb and just saw the ratings i was just like wow what (laughs) like people don't don't respect these films yeah Yeah, it's like, the same it with every sense. film you enjoy as a kid. People mm-hmm. just literally hate, and you kind of think, they they like, "Yeah, just try they... watching it as an adult." It's like <laughs> I did, and it was good. It's stupid, but I liked it. You know, you sometimes I mean, you like, gotta enjoy that. You can't just you can't just enjoy things anymore. You have to be super critical of it and understand it to some crazy extent. But yeah, like speaking about understanding, Asteroid City, I went to the viewing. Mm. And it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I laughed. I smiled. My heart felt warm. I felt good. The colours felt like it lifted my mood, as does any Wes Anderson like production. And you know, I saw like a, a tweet. Um, it was very brief. I didn't get to read the full article, so I may have taken this out of context. But what it seemed like to me is that Wes is feeling a type of way about the reception of his films and like how he might get sent something like a TikTok of someone who's copied his like artistic style and they're saying that, oh, this is what all Wes Anderson films basically are like. And um, kind of like what I was saying about Black Mirror and, and Charlie Brooker, I feel like this is such a, this is over familiarity with the audience 
and the creative to a point just by the sheer amount of responses to Wes Anderson's craft in that way, just kind of memifying it, it takes yeah. away so much from the art style and the uniqueness of him mm-hmm. and it simplifies it and then it just becomes a thing of like yeah okay that's that's his style big deal it's like just a filter and yeah yeah that that kind of it, it bothered me but going into asteroid city with that in my mind i really mm. just feel like yeah this is him at his best an ensemble cast of actors who seem like they're just having fun on, on set with a very convoluted story but it's so intertwined it's just engaging like even if you don't understand just one moment you're already latched onto another moment because it's like a small story compacted within another small story and it all just builds up and builds up and by the end of it you leave feeling like wow i know these characters i was there with them and i was in the world like where's planted me in the world and yeah, without spoiling it, I was I fully enjoyed the world he presented in Asteroid City. Nice I mean, it's by your cat. <laughs> pain in the ass, trust me. <laughs> but it's uh, it's kind of interesting, like because I've seen some stuff kind of like with Wes in like the last couple of weeks, and you can kind of I think he's definitely annoyed by it, but I think it's also more the fact that. And you see it sometimes like with Scorsese. Like Scorsese gave, I think, some fair criticism on the MCU back in the day. He said, look, people can do what they want, but at the end of the day, it's more kind of thrill rides than actual kind of, for me, what I would call cinema. And people can say he's right, people can say he's wrong. Um, but I think there's merit to what he said. But then ever since then, any interview he does, everyone then always has to say, like, did you see Spider-Man? Did you see this? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And it's kind of, I think, just kind of discredits kind of actually what they're doing. And I think that's what's happening to Wes Anderson at the moment is the fact that you've got people just throwing things into an AI machine and saying, I want Star Wars directed by Wes Anderson. And then they're posting these two-minute clips and saying, I've just made a Wes Anderson movie. It's so easy to do. But they look terrible. And there's, the whole point is because actually they don't have kind of an inch of the actual creativity and kind of flair and like artistic mindset of Wes Anderson and his crew and kind of, you know, his collaborators, which makes his movie so great. And I think that's the thing, you know, if I was Wes Anderson, I would also kind of be pissed off about people always showing me, oh, someone's made your movie. Someone's done this, someone's done that. Because it's like, well, no, they haven't. And I think it's, it's different when you clearly see, you know, like you'll see stuff on Instagram and it's an homage and someone's doing it and it's very kind of heartfelt and they're not saying this is easy but they've taken a lot of care and effort to try and get the aesthetic and it's nice and it's kind of like a nice kind of like homage whereas the stuff that's kind of going through now is literally just ai sort of garbage it's just something that looks not too nice to look at at all but people are saying it's incredible because look how similar it is and it's like well no and i think that's what people are doing they're sort of putting it down his throat and i would also probably be like you know, fuck off. I'm not watching that. Like I've got no interest because you don't, you know, ask me about my movie, what we did, you know, he's in the middle of uh, the Spanish desert building an entire city <laughs> to kind of shoot a movie, you know? And I think for him, that must be pe- like just painstaking, you know, going through years of kind of like writing and development and production and shooting to then just have someone wave a clip of Star Wars directed by kind of Wes Anderson from an AI machine and, you know, I kind of get that. 
and he's also kind of I don't know why, but like he's also been kind of misattributed in a, like a couple of stories recently because that's what like IndieWire kind of got into a bit of trouble because they they gave a bit of a baity headline saying that Wes Anderson was like kind of hinting that he didn't support the writers' strike. He's like, I don't get involved with that. And um, and then all the comments below, people not reading it, saying, oh, Wes Anderson's a prick. Oh, I can't believe he's like that. But if you actually <laughs> read the article all the way down, the actual conversation is saying, well, I'm not writing a movie currently, so I can't, like, I'm not involved in that kind of strike. But if I was in the writing phase for a movie, I would definitely be on the picket line to show my support. But that doesn't sell the story. The story is, oh, Wes Anderson's a prick because he doesn't support the writers. <laughs> and everyone's jumping on that. And then exacerbating it with all this AI stuff, and it's just—it's really weird. And you know, I kind of do feel sorry, so kind of, for him in a way. Yeah, I feel but so. I'm, for I'm him. really excited 100%. for a story. Yeah, no, like, I think you you've seen it. on the. I think I posted a picture when I was walking by Southbank last night. Mm-hmm. I think on the Studio 180 by the Strand, they've got like oh. the like I think it's like the diner from Asteroid City, kind of like outside the front at the moment. So I think they've got Sick. the exhibit. I think if it's not open already, it should be open basically any day now. So. Everyone should go see it. I might have to try and come up and go. I'd love to. I'd love to see that, man. Like, yeah, man. It's so full of. It's so full of life. It's so. It's so him and the unique approach to creativity and what he, like, implements into the way he puts together a story or a saying. Yeah, man. You you can't just produce that with a click on the button and the whole AI stuff, the whole AI filmmaking, or even concept building thing like it actually makes me sick and i'm someone that really loves the aesthetic that can be yeah. made like that star wars times wes anderson kind of set in production yeah, yeah. on the eyes yeah it does kind of look nice but you look at the finer details the missing fingers the, the misshaped faces the unrealistic nature of it all it's dumb like it would be yeah no it is enjoyable to sit down and think of your favorite filmmakers apply an idea and say what would they do for that lens like what would that look like i feel like yeah a star wars could never actually be produced by like a no. where's anderson yeah it's too it's too dark but, it but it's sort of like the um i think we shared it on the kind of uh, on the twitter page but like the someone had mocked up like the legend of zelda by ghibli and i was yes. just like that would be good like that, that is would be you know, incredible but, but you get stuff like that, but that's obviously also, I assume, and kind of would hope that that's someone has drawn that and kind of taken some care and attention to it. And I'll have egg on my face when someone says it's probably AI. And then I'm like, okay, great. I call it all garbage. But it's <laughs> also interesting. It well, <laughs> but yeah, it's going to come back and bite me in the ass. But it's also <laughs> kind of interesting the fact that, that it's all kicking off today because of Secret Invasion, which comes out this yeah. week, or if it's an hour oh, already. Yeah, it is and our first episode. The title cards have kind of come out. And they look kind of really weird, and it's turned out that it's completely generated by AI. And you they kind look of think, horrible. Yeah, they look terrible. They look horrible. And, and you got people, you got people kind of saying, "Oh, it's um, it's the, that's the point. The point is that AI are like the scrolls, and they're evading, and oh, we're letting it happen." It's like, no, that's a bullshit excuse. They just it's wanted so, to, to get a machine to do it, so they didn't have bullshit. to pay. Yeah, no, literally, that's what I was gonna say. Like, it's mad because a good probably a dozen people lost out on a job there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. they've saved a whole bunch of money by just saying, okay, we can cut costs by doing this, clicking a button, generating some very weird, 
oddly shaped. I don't I don't even know what to call that. That is not I haven't seen it in full flow yet, like as in watch the episodes, yeah. I've just seen the screenshots. But even then, it's it's just not right. It doesn't doesn't make sense. But I, I think we're getting to that point where people are gonna make excuses for using AI shortcuts everywhere. Yeah. In development, I understand it, like AI de- yeah. development of um coding and stuff, but creatively just know, man, it's going to stain everything we love. It, it's, it, I think it's also kind of very interesting that in the last kind of few weeks you get across the Spider-Verse, which has got so much painstaking, beautiful animation that's kind of been, you know, put together so carefully and kind of with heart and kind of with actual thought behind it. And then suddenly two weeks later, Disney are like, yeah, yeah, we know you like that Marvel stuff, but look at this. It's something yeah. that a computer's made, and you kind of think that's crazy. And also, especially for a company that really, I think for the most part, has its kind of foundations and perhaps a lot of its legacy and kind of, you know, its fans' favorites in animation. Yeah. The kind of the whole kind of merit and artistic yeah. approach that is founded on. And they're just like, nah, let's not do that. Even for a title card, which for a lot of people, you know, the title card's one of the most important things. Like I know on the, we did the poll not too long ago saying like, what was your favorite kind of theme tune? I bet if you put what your favorite title cards, things like the Game of Thrones one will come up because there's so much creativity and thought process behind it. And you can put little Easter eggs and sneaks, sneak some kind of thematic stuff in. Same thing with like X-Men as well. X-Men's title card. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy. And, you know, it's just... It's quite an important thing for the kind of, I guess, the spirit of a show. And I think if you're then just yeah. leaving that to AI and just saying, we're just going to cut the corners, <laughs> oh, people will just turn away. You know, Smart, I don't know why. You explaining that just got me a mosh. I, I just had like a picture <laughs> of my head. I had a picture of my head of like Stanley there. I don't know, like drawing Spider-Man and Spider-Man like running across the page and then running into a contract deal where he jumps mm. into it and, he, and Spider-Man is just, I don't know, it's just a contract. And then from the contract, now it's like the contract is processed through computers, through the computer. You have the right now to just click something and produce AI content of this idea that was written from someone's, not even written, that was drawn and conceptualized from someone's mind and added to this beautiful building universe and concept that we're all subscribed to. And yeah, man, it's very, it is painful. It's painful to to think of, like, especially as people who we've seen the whole transition of all of this, like we have a different type of respect and attachment to these characters. And that's why I'm still here as like a 30 year old man being riled up over MCU content. In yeah. my own house, like I, I, you know, what I mean, it's, it's it's annoying, but I think this is also a beautiful segue to DC and mm-hmm. their latest venture in the Flash. First initial thoughts, like I, I don't think we've even spoken about this. So no, because so I guess for context, you and Scully went to a preview. Yeah, not too long ago. It um, was about a month and a half ago. I've been sitting on this for a minute now. I was going to say, yeah, not too long ago, actually. That was fucking ages. (laughs) It's ages, yeah. So, you know, The Flash, a movie that has gone through production hell, 
was first kind of like conceived and greenlit way before kind of like the DC EU even kind of started. So it has mm-hmm. gone through countless writers and directors and stars and and all sorts to even get close to kind of where it is today. Um, and even to kind of get out to release now, it has been plagued with controversy because of Ezra Miller and everything they've been doing in Hawaii and starting cults and potentially holding guns to babies' heads. And, mm. you know, it has been it's almost an impossible task to make and release this film. So just for those who kind of aren't aware, stories about The Flash, Barry Allen, and he kind of figures out that he can travel back in time. So he tries to go back in time and change an event from his life in the past. Things clearly go awry, as they always do in time travel movies. Uh, And then him and his cloned self have to try and fix the future. Um, And, you know, with everything kind of I've just said, so all that production hell, Ezra Miller and their antics and kind of just amazing the fact that they're even still in the film and you know having done no press apart from turn up for the the premiere where they looked like they were just kind of sedated um i was pleasantly surprised and i think a lot of that has to be because it's just such low expectations right the dceu has not been the best there are a few films i like there are a few that i'm like yeah that's okay or not so great. And there's stuff that's just complete dog shit that I never want to see again. Yep. So I think com- going into this, I was, yeah, I was just pleasantly surprised, you know, I yeah. think at least for a good, the good first hour or so, you know, I said, like, okay, this is fine. It's classic kind of comic book fair. I think Ezra Miller is, if anything, kind of delivering a performance that I thought was a little bit more subdued until kind of later on, where they then get very annoying, but that's also the point. It wasn't like anything groundbreaking, but it was also fine for what it needed to do. And I just thought, this is okay. Like this is, it's also unremarkable, which I think is the other mm-hmm. thing. It's mm-hmm. the expectations for me were so low. I thought this is fine. So I'm actually enjoying it. Um, and also it's just the same as everything else I've kind of seen recently, you know, yeah. especially when you get into like the more CGI elements and, oh, they're in the middle of nowhere and they're all having a big fight and it's just now a computer kind of screen moving around. It's the same as kind of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 at some points. It's the same as kind of Endgame and Infinity War. And it's just like all of that and all of that kind of components. It's like, this is just the same kind of film that I've already seen a couple of times. And the yeah. fact that I'm liking other bits outside of the stuff that I don't quite like and is a bit jankier, I was like, I can only say that I'm enjoying this film. Yeah. Now, maybe if the expectations are really high, I'd come out and say, oh, my God, that was a disappointment. But, you know, I think the vitriol against it is perhaps a little bit unfair. I think a lot of it is still aimed at Ezra Miller and what they've done, which, you know, fair enough. Should they still be in the movie? Should they still be getting the backing? Probably not. Um, but at the same time, you kind of have to take the film just as it kind of is in being released. And I've seen like Andy Machete kind of like getting a lot of kind of hate online as well. I think he's actually done a pretty like phenomenal job in just making a movie even remotely watchable for release with all that kind of issue. Like, what more can you do? Like, that is literally the best you can do. And he's done it. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know what? 
now that you say that, I actually I agree. Like he, he did do an okay job to salvage something out of that because like again, in agreement, I do think the reaction to this has been way overblown. It's more like it's been hang ups of a lot of films like this kind of coupled together and smashed on top of the Flash's head and <laughs> probably like half of the shattering of that <laughs> of that whole thing I agree with. I did think at times the C- CGI was bad. However, in a lot of films the CGI is bad. I didn't have any expectations of this movie because of what the DCU has presented itself like with like since its conception like I have such a low expectation that anything that I can just watch and enjoy I can I can do that I'm I'm happy with it but the thing that stood out for me the most with the flesh was the fact that it ultimately meant absolutely nothing like it means nothing moving forward for this DCEU, I don't, I don't know what is going on with it. I can't, I can't tell you anything. It means nothing for like Esmeril Miller's character. Like they actually put on a, a really good performance for me. I was, I was impressed. Like there were some scenes that literally had me laughing. And yeah, man, I think they done a really good job. But still, like, what does this mean for them? Like, I don't. I don't understand it whatsoever. And I just feel like DC have dropped the ball massively with the entirety of their universe. They need to hit reset and understand where they're moving in the future because it's so scary now. The fact that like I don't really want another Batman film. I don't want another Superman film. I don't want to see any of the mainstay of characters. And this even took me back to like the mindset of the past and how when the MCU started, like Iron Man, I used to watch his his show on Fox Kids back in the day. So I had an idea of what Iron Man was like. And then obviously they had like the crossovers at times with either Spider-Man or the Incredible Hulk. Like these were probably the three superheroes, plus the X-Men, of course, that carried the MCU for me. So whenever these characters have been like brought into consciousness it's been like it's been like great like but like dc i think the problem dc have is they don't have a whole spread of different teams or different factions rather with stories that they could intertwine in a way that creates something what the something like what the mcu has so You've got the Justice League, and to my common knowledge, as someone that's been like a DC fan-ish, not even a comic book reader, but just through the whole animated universe and, and extended, like, who else, like, what else is there aside from the Justice League? Like, or, and the Suicide Squad, which only really came into consciousness on the back end of its movie, but like, there's there's nothing there, and if they wanted to try and copy what the MCU have done, they would have put faith in a character who probably isn't like the the top character in their whole like comic book universe, but someone who's kind of like on the periphery. Even someone like um, the Green Arrow, for example, 
the Green Arrow could have been a very kind of basic entry into the DCU world for for them to play with. They could have used the like the Green Arrow as someone who's quite normal, someone that could bridge the gap between like uh, a Batman and the Flash, like the kind of more realistic. Well, the Flash isn't is hardly realistic, and neither is like the <laughs> Batman and you know, Green Arrow, but you know what I mean? Like, more kind of down-to-earth characters. I feel like Superman is probably the last addition that you want in that set. Same with, like, a Wonder Woman. Cyborg as well. Like, realistic characters grounded to the Earth that you could make this thing of. And that was the fascination of Iron Man. It was like, cool, Iron Man doesn't have superpowers. And Mm. this is a good entry point into the MCU because this this kind of could have happened. And then playing off the whole era that we were in, like embedded in the whole kind of terrorism conversation then, it played off that reality, set up the bad guy situation, had an amazing actor in Robert Downey Jr. And then it set the ball rolling. But even then, beforehand, you still had like the Incredible Hulk movies and stuff. And that was even a nod nod to what's to come. But it's like, DCU have tried to do that all in the space of about 10 years. They haven't tried to pace it. They haven't tried to think of like how best to go about it. It's just like every single thing that they put out is so random and it has no context. It's so hard to follow that I I just, I I don't know anymore. I don't know what this is and it's just baffling. Yeah. And it, it, that, kind of whole thing of like cohesion I think is so important to kind of have a successful kind of series of films and like a franchise because you need people to as you say kind of understand the characters understand how they kind of fit together and it is kind of interesting that in DC kind of space they've essentially done Suicide Squad twice and I know that they say the second one was a sequel but in a sense it was a soft reboot because the first one was kind of so bad. Um, personally, like the thing I also kind of find with, like, between the roster from like Marvel and the kind of with DC is, I think DC just kind of are hampered by with who they have and what, what they've got. And I think when the comics first came about, like Superman is just overpowered. I, I don't find Superman like ever like as an interesting character because essentially you just you get this guy who could do anything and everything. And his weakness is kryptonite. If you want to kill him, yeah. it's kryptonite. That's it. And it's like, okay, yeah. I've got, there are no stakes with this man. He might, oh, Lois Lane might die. That's the only other stake he might have. It's like, this is a guy who's just invincible. Like he can't, you can't do anything. And, or, oh, okay, that guy's got a stick of kryptonite. Okay. That's, we know what's going to happen there. Whereas, you know, I think that's why people have always kind of been kind of enamored with things like potentially like with Batman. Cause I know you say it's more realistic, and of course, it's not realistic, but it is more grounded. It is a guy who's just filthy rich and he kind of gets these kind of like skills. But also like the fact that, you know, like it's more the fact that he's a detective. And I think people kind of like that aspect of it because it is something perhaps that they can also not necessarily relate to, but at least kind of aspire to. You know, everyone, yeah. that's why we love kind of things like Knives Out and Murder Mysteries, because we like to have those skills. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why DC have always kind of felt like they would thrive better if they just kept everything separate 
and just had their kind of individual movies. That's why the Dark Knight trilogy still, I think, gets so much praise. That's why Batman with Michael Keaton and you know Tim Burton in the you know eighties and I think the eighties and nineties that still gets so much praise because they're standalone. Everyone loves the character. Same thing with like the Christopher Reeve kind of Superman. Um, so I think you know if I link that back to the Flash. I, it's not a spoiler to say, obviously, Michael Keaton is showing up as kind of Batman because it's in all the material. But it does also kind of speak a lot to the fact that the bulk of the press for this, including things like the poster, um, the press tour, all the kind of the marketing activity is based on the fact that, oh, there's Michael Keaton's back as Batman. And, you know, they have such little faith potentially in the fact that Ezra Miller has so much kind of backlash against them you know, and rightfully yep. so, that <laughs> they're trying to lean on that kind of nostalgic element. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, are we going to do full spoilers? Um, you know what? I feel like everyone, everyone's seen it. I'll I, be honest. Yeah. It's weird. Or everyone, think, yeah. no one cares. No one cares. Yeah. It's not MCU. No one cares. If you If you care about spoilers, skip the next couple of minutes. If not, carry on. But, you know, <laughs> The whole point of the film and a lot of the kind of the backlash, which I've thought about in the last few days, and I do understand and agree that's actually a valid criticism, is the fact that obviously the film is basically kind of telling the message that you shouldn't, you know, you've got to let the past be. The past is kind of what makes us. You shouldn't go back and try and change things or kind of bring things up. Yeah. But then the film itself is so kind of reliant on nostalgia and the past and bringing that back that it's kind of like, oh, you're kind of undercutting the message you're trying to bring. And so there is a part towards the finale, which I think a lot of the, again, like the vitriol and backlash against the film itself has come from this specific moment where they're struggling in their kind of final big boss battle. And Ezra Miller, the Flash, or the Flashes at that point, are traveling back through in time. And they, I guess they cause like a, a tear in space-time continuum. And then suddenly these worlds start colliding and opening up and you start to see supermen and flashes and batmen appear. And I say supermen because what happens is you get uh, Christopher Reeve kind of shows up for split seconds and kind of looks through kind of towards the camera. Um, You get, I think, Adam West, it's Batman. You get kind of a few of the older kind of uh, performers for Superman and Batman. You get a whole kind of weird, slightly longer sequence of Nick Cage as Superman, like from back in ages ago when he kind of did a cameo thing yeah. for that. Um, that felt so eerie. I don't know what yeah, it that's, was. It's because like, and it's, you, it's, you made a good point earlier where the CGI is really janky and schlocky. Quite yeah. a lot. And again... <laughs> you know I what's just... so dark? Can I just cut you off for a second? Yeah, yeah. He looked more dead than the other two. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> he, like... Yeah, I mean... That is, I mean, that's a while, but like, it's true. Like it's, the problem is, is the fact that I think the whole, that whole kind of sequence, whenever they're kind of going through running back in time, is really kind of shit. But also (laughs) I didn't really kind of mind it because I thought, yeah, I didn't mind. Well, it kind of, I guess kind of, it kind of works in a weird way for me. Like it looks bad, but then at the same time, like it's not meant to make sense. You know, yeah. I was more drawn and kind of put off like the bits where clearly they're doing a reshoot and it's like the two Ezra Millers sat next to each other and one of them has a face that looks like it's been sculpted out of Play-Doh. 
badly <laughs> and you're like oh my god like you, you know uh, you couldn't get them at that point that must be when they so were in hawaii as well. yeah no literally like um it was like as i was watching the film the cgi looked so nuts i was thinking and the, the version that we watched was an unfinished version and they made sure to note that at the end so again spoiler i'm gonna give it like a two second or two three four like the george clooney ending bit we didn't yeah, have yeah, that yeah and so I knew they were going to put something there, but like so many moments of the CGI, I was thinking, okay, cool. When the real film comes out, they would correct that, right? <laughs> like, right? They, right? Yeah, like literally, well, then I was thinking, wait, there's a month and a half to go. Are they going to get all of the editing powers? Like, I'm not a CGI wizard, but I know that stuff takes so long. Yeah. They have to literally edit so many different frames that is probably taking like half a year or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man. It like, makes it's, sense, right? It makes sense. Like they just, oh, I don't know, man. It kind of, it kind of reminds me like it, at some points and, you know, I ultimately apart from, you know, it's also got some moments where the CGI is great. It's got some really creative, inventive stuff. And then it has moments that you will look at it and you'll think, holy fuck, this is bad. Like, you'll probably get like a, an N64 game looking better. And there's some of it. I remember like back in the day, I tried to pirate X-Men Origins, Wolverine. Yeah. You know, shame on me for even trying to give that film the time of day. <laughs> but um, but I remember like starting it up and you've got that whole montage at the start where he's going through all the different wars throughout history. But the, 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 the stream that I found for it didn't have the CGI in. Like, this looks really fucking weird. Like, it's just I remember a that plane. version. That yeah, is... It's just like grey planes and like grey tanks. And then I was just like, why the fuck is everything grey? I thought maybe that's just like... And then I was like, 10 minutes into the movie, I was like, this just doesn't work. And then he's in the mirror with like his claws out. And it's just like, it's like, what am I watching? Like This cannot be right, surely. And at times I'm watching so The funny. Flash. And I'm like, it's kind of like that. I wonder if they just forgot. I wonder if they're looking at it. And it might just be they think we should have... We were meant to correct that, but it's just yeah. Too late. I but... literally think they got to some point where they were like, "You know what, guys? Nothing comes after this, so it's why? Not worth we... it. Yeah, why are we? <laughs> yeah, it's just not <laughs> no, worth it. Like, like, what is the point? Because see, when you're like making, it's like a standalone film, and it's like, oh, everyone's come together to, you know, prop up this one big film, and you've been working on it for about two years. It's like you're putting everything into that one film. For stuff like an MCU or DCEU, even <laughs> throwaway example, but even in a lot of like animes, right? They have with animes, they will probably have like one or two weeks, or maybe even a whole month, where they're like these are filler episodes. They're unscripted, like storyboards probably been thrown together over like something something very quick, and none of it is canon. None of it is going to affect the real story that the writer is writing and drawing like every week like so they would put together one of those episodes and these in these episodes it's like it's always a porous drawing it's always a porous like animation if there's any it's like it's so lackluster in effort it's like well people know they're not going to add this to the final product and you should not you cannot be doing that with something like the flash like the flash is literally Aside from Batman, probably the most popular. Well, Superman is there as well, but I was looking at some recent polls, 
and the Flash is apparently more popular than Superman. I think Superman is more of an old school, popular 100%. DC character. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I think the younger generations are more in tune with like the Flash. Well, you so, got the CW show, which they yeah, couldn't give. Um, yeah. They couldn't give that guy at the time of day. They didn't. Gustin. They didn't have room for his cameo, but. You know, they had room to bring everyone else back. You know what? And, I would have um, liked to see him. I would have I would have liked to see him. Like it would have would have made sense. It would have made sense. It would have made yeah. it, he could have even had a talking talking role. One thing I'd say is even though like Ezra was really good at some of the mo- most emotive moments in the in the film, he was he was quite good and it evoked something in me. Grant would have been a really good addition to that, to that conversation, that kind of flash point conversation that they had. But yeah, man, I guess they they probably just ran out of steam. And I know Grant was probably gunning for it. I was one of the original people that was attached to the CW, like whole DCU yeah. thing that they were trying to trying to do. But yeah, man, like it's yeah, it's it's um, it's, it's, it's kind of. It's it's interesting because like you know I think I, I mean I I didn't watch the CW shows so I don't like have an affinity for it but I think it is an odd decision not to have your character have an iteration out there that's obviously been very popular the fact that it's still Literally. going um, mm-hmm. and you just completely ignore it um, I do kind of think you know like going to those cameos and like those moments of CGI the Nick Cage one is interesting as well because apparently they, they brought him in and he shot. And obviously they must have done like the composite and like the de-aging on top, but mm-hmm. to just pour like poorly. So it does look like the whole thing has just kind of been thrown together in CGI. Yeah. Um, this is where I think potentially my opinion might differ with a lot of people out there. Because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people kind of said that they thought it was, you know, disgusting to kind of bring um, Christopher Reeve back. And then it was kind of like, you know, very offensive kind of trying to utilize a man who's passed kind of for a cheap kind of pop essentially. And I mean, I was kind of conflicted because I knew that going in. So I was trying to be as unbiased as as possible. And I went into that scene and I thought, this is, I'm going to hate this. And I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. And I just, and it was just so quick that I thought, I kind of don't, I don't know. Like I don't really have a problem with it. If the, if the family in the estate say they're happy to kind of have the likeness and they think it'd be a nice touch, I guess that's all you can go on. I know that there is an argument to be made to say, well, actually, maybe they're just trying to get their own pockets aligned. But I thought it was, you know, an inoffensive touch because it's not like they're trying to utilize his legacy for anything more than just a, there's a glimpse, literally a glimpse of him. Yeah. Now, I think they should have perhaps instead just used stock footage from kind of the old Superman movies. Yeah. And I think that would probably have been more respectful. You know, I don't think kind of there's anything wrong with having done that. But I've spent a couple of days on Twitter because I've seen a lot of people especially go heavily and criticize it. And yeah. I've tried to just see if I can catch people out who say that's wrong, but then we'll go to something like Star Wars and say, but it's fine when it's Leia and it's fine when it's Moff Tarkin because he's so essential to the story. And if, if anything, I was, you know, and there's a lot of people saying, but it's okay when it was Tarkin in Rogue One, because he is essential to that story. So you have to bring him back. I was like, well, no, you recast the role. And yeah, it's yeah. a different guy, but you you just have to accept that. 
and that is also the, the point of acting you know i think it's almost different but and potentially i'm you know you might disagree or other people will definitely disagree but i think it's more offensive to hire someone make them perform probably brilliantly on set and say thanks mm-hmm. we're now going to completely rechange your voice through kind of technology and also change your face to yeah. the man who's now resting peacefully yeah. I think that's more offensive than just saying we're going to have him glimpse for a few seconds with the family's blessing. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to do anything. It's just a legacy moment. And yet you can call it a cheap pop and trying to get like a, a quick whoop from the crowd. Fair enough. You know, into some ways I agree, but I do think that actually just having that as a legacy is a blink and you'll miss it moment. We're not doing anything else, but to just have his image there. I'm kind of fine with it. And I think if yeah. they had you stock footage, would people be shouting so much? And I don't think they would. I I completely I completely agree. I I wouldn't say like um I'm so attached to the idea of disrespect, but if I was weighing it up, the um what's his name? The Wilhoff Tarkin. The Tarkin example, I completely agree. I think um there's definitely like a Star Wars kind of folklore attachment. And it's also, this is such a unique thing, right? There's only certain franchises like this that exist and have like characters of this certain type of legacy and they will attach them to these projects. And it's like, we'll always have those reference points. Like I think, it comes with context. It comes with the context of the type of thing you're trying to create. But also, as you said, if the estate is like, yeah, we're happy, we're fine with it, then I think it's totally fine. I just think it's definitely gross in nature to use like AI to do certain things, but the, just the small spot of Christopher Reeves, I don't think that does any harm. It doesn't yeah. do any harm whatsoever and it, and again like i think in that moment aside from the cgi that was like one of the most eerious moments in the whole probably dceu just that kind yeah. of stream of flashbacks and i think if they'd done that so much more better we wouldn't be having this conversation i think yeah. because of all of the issues that the film had itself and the way they ended up doing that yeah, it looked it looked crazy. It looked it looks yeah. weird, but yeah, man, I I can't say, yeah, I can't say that I'm I'm too mad at it. I just think I think probably it's need just... to get yeah, carry on. It's just yeah, average. it's average. It's it's literally it's just it's just standard. Yeah. I do want this kind of multiversal stream of content to end, and unfortunately, I don't see it ending for a while. It's just no. it's just the in thing. Like, it's, even it with, is crazy how bro, kind of like just everything is is multiversal now, like everything. And yeah, it's cool. It's it's interesting, but I feel like sometimes when there's an idea like this, just leave it to the one or maybe two things that have done it really well, which I'd say is the MCU and everything every everywhere all at once. Aside from those two kind of conceptions of the multiverse i'm not really mm-hmm. yeah i'm not really interested like standalone projects for the dc 
universe moving forward, that's kind of all I want to see. I don't want to see a big collection of all of this stuff because you can't imagine the Joker 2 having a throwback. There's nobody that's going to run beyond like the, uh, I don't know, outrun time and reverse the world for us to see the Jokers of ages past. Like It's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Just yeah. Stick to like <laughs> stick to that format. Maybe leave the multiversal bending characters alone for a bit and do something else. Yeah, something I think else. I think that is also kind of very true. Like me, I'm personally just bored of like the multiverse stories, apart from Into the Spider Verse, Across the Spider Verse, because but that is a yeah. very different example in which the care and attention behind it all. Yeah. There is the reason why it needs to be that way, and that is basically, I think, even like I don't, I think MCU has pushed it too far. I think this is work. It works for Spider Verse because of all that care and law and attention and the way they're building it all together coherently. And I think that's what it yeah. comes back to. I think all the others, just like I remember, Multiverse of Madness. Oh, it's John Krasinski is Captain America, um, Captain Fantastic. Oh, there's. You know, Patrick um, Stewart back is kind of professor. Yeah. So it's like you're just doing this for the pop, and you know, there's there's no real reason, there's no story behind it anymore. It's just yeah. using it as a quick way to get people back or get new people in. Um, and also, like you know, I talk about the kind of like with the Flash. It's kind of interesting, obviously, kind of how you look at the future because you know, DCEU as we know it's finished. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of shared some stuff out this week saying that's probably why it's a box office bomb. So I was kind of pulling some of the numbers before the show. And, you know, if you look at the budget, $200 million predicted budget or kind of estimated budget, it made in its kind of worldwide kind of opening $135 million, Wow. Which was, I think, about 20 to $40 million less than Transformers. Uh, Age of the Beasts, or whatever that new one's called, and you kind of think, "Well, fuck me, you are down bad." If your superhero movie bad. is being battered by Transformers, because um, the Transformers, who the fuck, fuck. is watching that? You know, it's mad. Kids, I even said I the other day, "Yeah, no, that's exactly what yeah. I was saying the other day." We were like, "Bro, do kids even Who's watch Transformers it? anymore? Yeah. Like, who? who? Like that is shocking." So you, the Flash with Batman galore is not making money and it's predicted to make an even bigger drop this week so i think they said it's going to make about a 60 percent drop so i think statewide its opening was 55 mil i think it's meant to make about another 20 mil in the next week in the states so you're probably looking i think they wanted to get close to the batman by matt reeves their total which i think is about 750 700 million profit uh or, or total kind of um box office it's not going to get anywhere near that. So this thing is going to be probably classified as, co- as a complete bomb. It's a complete failure. Yeah, which, that is insane. Which also kind of makes sense, the fact that they've said the EU is done, so it's pointless. Aquaman 2, I mean, I didn't realise that this film had a post-credit, by the way, but it's apparently Barry Allen and Aquaman drinking, and I didn't bother to stay for that. I, I was oh, like, man. I'm out. So what, what, when Aquaman did the George Clooney thing happened that was the that was the very end so that's how it ended and then it went into credits but then when he steps out of the car yeah and he's just like what's wrong with you and then it went to the credits oh but then then in our screen the house lights went up 
so normally if they yeah. put the house lights up, it's, it's there's no the end credit. So I, this one left, and then I read about it, and I was like, oh, that's but so funny. Aquaman because... dead on arrival, surely. Yeah, I was, I don't what? know what's going on there. But no. what I was even going to say in our screening, instead of our screening, probably had a better ending than the George Clooney one. Do you Which know how it ended? like? Is it? I I've read it in book three. <laughs> Was your one Henry Cavill and Michael Keaton or something? No, literally, our one was, it gets to the scene where he's just got back to like his timeline. He gets a call from Batman saying that, oh, you did it. Um, you did it, Barry. Well done. Like, I'm coming to see you now. And then Barry like gets out onto, he's just like on the street and Bruce Wayne pulls up in a car and everyone's like, hey, that's Bruce Wayne. And then he steps out and it just shows his shoes and and um, Barry's like, who the fuck is this guy? And then it just cuts to the credit scenes. And we don't even see his face. We just see a snapshot of his ankle and like oh. of his shoe and his ankle. And then it ends like that. So me and Scully oh. left saying to each other like, well, you know what? It was a funny ending because now they've left it open. They could be like, hey, we don't have a Batman right now. If we actually yeah. end the DCEU here, this would probably be a good point. What would also would have made sense to me is if if they had a bit of finesse and if Ezra was not going to continue on in this role, when he comes back, it could have maybe been from like a, a first person kind of perspective. You don't see who the Flash is and then he could go and see, I don't know, whoever. And again, it's, it's someone that you don't know. That could have been like, okay, cool. DC... The DCU has restarted, and we were starting from here, and everything is different now. That would have made sense. Instead, they've left it open, and now that you just told me that there's another post-credit scene that is linking up with Aquaman, it's like I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's... it. It kind of comes back down to like that coherency, and it's just the fact that obviously that you're getting the screening six weeks before it's released, and you're not even getting that final shot, but then it's there and there, like for mine. <laughs> Yeah. It's sort of crazy because because I was reading that apparently there was like three options. So one was that like he it's George George Clooney, spoiler alert. Um, the other one was like I think there was meant to be one where it was meant to be Henry Cavill and basically like the Justice League are there. But I think at that point that must have been when they were talking about Cavill coming back and then saying actually no fuck off Cavill we don't want you again. Um, <laughs> I don't know man. The whole thing is like as I say I think the whole DCU was a mess. I think there was a couple of bright spots here and there. I thought Zack Snyder getting his own Justice League at the four hours. I remember watching that in one go, and I actually really, really liked that. I don't want to go back and revisit it because I just don't have the stamina. I'm just going to leave on that and just say, I had a great time at that specific moment in lockdown during yeah. COVID. So maybe if I went to watch it now, I'd be like, actually, I can go outside of my house. This is shit. But, um, <laughs> you know... It's just, it's such a weird place and also just oh. such a weird kind of Warner Brothers really need to fucking sort out their sort of kind of like, I guess, marketing approach because going out months before and saying, by the way, we've got three more movies to come out and all of them are worthless and pointless and they're crap. They're not going to go anywhere. So why, why did I pay any sort of money, especially when you're throwing them in like the prestige screening saying you have to pay 20 yep. quid minimum to watch it. So why would I bother if this so doesn't mad. mean anything? It's so mad, like, 
Yeah, there's literally no incentive to be attached to anything that comes out of that corner. And yeah, man, it's it's sad. It's sad knowing the potential of this stuff. But I, I do think, and I think maybe we should probably leave this here and then pick it up with the guys next week. But I just wanted to put into your consciousness, I do think we might be reaching the end of this super, this kind of run of superhero movies and films. We might be reaching the end because if DC is crumbling in that, that sense, like, yeah, there'll still be standalones, but I think after the MCU's, like, current kind of generation and set up of phases, like, after maybe, like, the next two, three, we should be done with this. Like, I think, like... Yeah, it's become quite monotonous, and we're we're even getting bored of it. We, we just watch it and we're attached to it because of the continuous storyline. But now it's probably getting to a point where it's feeling more like the Fast and Furious franchise than it is like a an epic, like a Lord of the Rings with like the first three phases. Like I was so invested in everything that was going on up until that point, and yeah, even though there's been some fascinating stuff in the TV series and and everything else, I just think the formula has been overcooked. And if if these superhero hero like movie makers don't kind of fix this and change it, like yeah, I think this style could be stained for years, like years to come. Because remember, there was that kind of in between period after, I'd say after like maybe the dark night up until cuz yeah iron man done its thing but the idea of superhero movies for me was still kind of unattractive until maybe maybe around like just after like kickass times if you get what i mean like kickass 2 ish times and then it was like they became quite popular again for like the quote-unquote underground movie watcher like there was loads of different ideas that came attached with superhero films but now it's just so overcooked overdone i'm tired and bored of it and yeah man i'm much more fascinated by a film like asteroid city than i have been well aside from um uh into the spider-verse all of that kind of stuff yeah, I just haven't been so attached to any MCU projects like that. Tell a lie again, Guardians 3. But you know what I mean? <laughs> you no, know exactly what I mean. It is the point that, and, you know, you were talking then, and I was just trying to think, like, you know, I think it is the fact that, you know, it, West, you know, superhero movies now are basically doing what Westerns did in cinema of old. And mm. it's, you occasionally get a really great one, and then you get really shit ones because they are templated now. So they're probably yeah. quite easy, not certainly not cheap, perhaps like mm-hmm. back in the day, but they're just quick and easy to make and there's appetite. And I think, you know, I think it might have been Spielberg or someone kind of said that basically what will happen is, is it will go the, like, the way of the Western again at some point, but perhaps a bit quicker this time because it's so saturated that people will get bored. They'll be like, mm-hmm. I can't keep doing... A guy in a cape flying around 
or another guy flying around, or a yeah. third guy flying around. They want something kind of different and kind of like unique to go along. And I was thinking about it actually because I was thinking, growing up, we had a lot of comic book movies, but they mm-hmm. were spaced a bit more evenly. And because you know, yeah, so I'm thinking right. of all the movies as a kid, like you had Spider Man trilogy, you had mm-hmm. you know Fantastic Fours, you had X Men, mm-hmm. and you had obviously like with the Dark Knight, you had Superman, like you had so much shit. But it was, right. I think, evenly paced and kind of separated out. Whereas, you know, I think it is a problem to kind of say, hey, you've got four MCU movies alone this year. It's like, yep. that's too much. Like, that's way too much because you can't, you know, at that sort of rate of production, surely you are cutting corners, which I think we are starting to see, you know, CGI is shockier. We're getting fights in vast, empty spaces so that, it probably can be made at some point with, with AI. And, you yeah. know, I think that's the problem. It's, it is tedious. It's stale. I think something like Across the Spider-Verse comes in so well because it is fresh and unique. I think something like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, even though I was less enamored with it, I still could understand that it works because there is a personal heart and touch behind it. You would tell yeah. that's a James Gunn movie until it gets to the point where it's, MCU and Feige saying we now need to have our our fight, which is templated, but the rest of it does have his sort of thumbprints all over it. And I think that's kind of apart from those kind of moments, it is just kind of boring and old. And you know, I've been looking at kind of what's in the cinema in the last couple of weeks because it's uh, normally like with my girlfriend's kind of working late or nights, so I try and go and see something. And even yeah. like in like Picture House and that house cinemas, there's not really been a lot on. And it's kind mm-hmm. of just been a bit sad, the fact that you are kind of just stuck seeing Fast X or The Flash or mm-hmm. Guns of the Galaxy 3 still or stuff that's been out for fucking months. I don't want to <laughs> Sh- see Transformers. Shazam 2 and that. <laughs> Shazam 2, Transformers. Like, I'm oh, not eight God. years old. I want to watch something, which is why Asteroid mm-hmm. City, I'm going to be all over that this weekend when yeah. it comes out. I'm going to be very excited for that. And I'll have to try and talk about it next week when we're on. Um, yeah. No, definitely. But yeah. You know. And then also, even to add to that, um, like I'm finding much more of my fascinating watches to be like on something like a movie. You know what I mean? Like I have to. And one thing I've always, because I've always been interested in a wide range of film. I've been the type of person that when I was younger, I'd I'd type something like, "Oh, best film of 2010, best documentary of 2011." You know what I mean? Just to try and keep up with what's going on outside of this kind of realm and yeah it's, it's it's fucking it feels so hard unless you have like a membership or you're super invested in all of these type of picture houses it's so hard to come across films that aren't these big massive hollywood cash mongering yep. projects you know yep, it's yep. yeah still but yeah man like we know where to go at least. Exactly. Our, I think our that's... job and mission to, to you know, exactly those films more so than any other. Yeah. And you talk about movie, actually, something that has just come out in the last, I think it came out on the 16th, mm-hmm. is um, Leah Seydoux, Mia Hansen Love, One Fine Morning. Um, One Fine Morning. I was, I was meant to see it in the cinema early this year, but I couldn't make it in the end. And that is kind of getting like lots of kind of rave reviews, or at least it did earlier in the year. And that's kind of meant to be one of the best of the year so far. So that is kind of sitting high up on my list in kind of movie now to kind of go through. Um, Movie, if you're listening, please 
give us some free stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be nice. So yeah, like, okay, one fine morning. You know what? I'll pick this up. And yeah, it's it's less than two hours. I've been feeling like I've been beaten up by so many films that are like two hours and a half plus recently. Like, um, well, Be- Be- Be is Afraid, I'm never going to watch. I've decided. It's oh going my on my never going to watch list. Never going to watch list. Two, two I mean, hours, 52 minutes. I love, Ariasta. I love Ariasta. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I saw the runtime for that and I, I, I was like, ooh. And also the thing is, is like I, I was going to go, but then like the screening times at like the picture house near me was always like 10 o'clock. I was like, uh, I don't want to be in the cinema till past midnight. Like I don't have that stamina. <laughs> like a Tuesday night, you want me to come like, get into my house at 2 a.m. to get up and work at 7? Like, that's not going to happen. Well, the last um, time I did that was literally for Infinity War. <laughs> 12, 12 a.m. viewing went with Scully and Blau and it was mad and it was like it finished in the most gruesome way and then we left at like 1.30 a.m. confused like is that is that <laughs> is this all over like we were that is real cinema see I hate the MCU I hate I hate this stuff man like because literally <laughs> just blasted it for like a good 30 minutes and now that I'm thinking of it, I'm just fucking geeked. And you know what's sad? You know what's really sad, Russ? After this, I'm going to watch Secret Invasion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is the thing. It's fucking, yeah, man. Like, this is... But sometimes that's the thing. Like, you watch something oh. that's so bad. Like, I keep seeing clips of The Idol, and part of me kind of thinks, maybe I should watch just the first episode just to see if The Idol is as bad as it looks. But then I know that's also kind of what they want. So I need yeah. to not... Give them what they want. Don't I don't want to be part of that 0.7 million viewing <laughs> figures that gets it renewed because then I feel bad. Oh, fucking hell, man. The idol. Fucking hell. You know what? I feel like we should do something, yeah? where Because one of us has to watch it. Like So next week, we need to do something like, I don't know. Um, I think it has draws... to be... CJ and Scully couldn't join yeah. us this week because they're yes. jet-setting around the world. I think... It's their responsibility to come back and after having all the fun <laughs> in nice, hot European cities, they should come back with at least a little bit of misery. I, 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 all three episodes of The Idol so far. I, I fucking love it, yeah, because you just eliminated both of us out of the process immediately. Like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not fucking doing it. There's no chance. Yeah, no, sick. Or, right, cool. Well, I'd they come here with that. my chat GPT written review. And synopsis, and be like, "There you go. That's what I think." I'm not watching a show where the main character's name is Tedros. Like, I'm just not doing that. And uh, wow, that that's kind of offensive. Tedros is a, a proper real name. I just googled it, but you know what I mean. Like, I'm not doing that because I know the weekend probably put on a very shit performance, and I just I hate I've... I hate this. I hate the idea of it. I hate the way he looks in all of the screenshots. It just looks. It looks wrong. It looks wrong He's, in every sense. I saw that clip of him trying to threaten that guy, and like he said, like he's going to fucking curb something. And midway through that, basically ten second delivery, I thought he forgot his lines, and I just don't think he knew what the line was because he looks like he's struggling. And I also can't believe that 
when this came out of Cannes, oh my God. the weekend, didn't he basically kind of say, he was like, yeah, I think I might just retire the weekend. I think I might kind of pursue this as well. And yeah. don't do that, mate. You should, you, know, get that, you should get the weekend so yes back men. immediately. <laughs> there's you so many yes men around right the people, man. Fucking yeah. hell. He should he's, never, he's, ever. He's about to rebrand his rebrand. Like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Man, mad, mad guy, man. But yeah, Ross, I think this has been, it's been a really fun episode, actually. It's felt therapeutic. Yeah. We've had more mic time. We've just been complaining about the shit things and uplifting the great things. So... Yeah, yeah well. everyone check out Asteroid City come out this Friday, I think. So get on that yeah, one. Please do. And also, if you haven't, I don't know why you haven't, but as I said earlier, one of my favorite films, Rock and Roller. It's got so many great people in there from Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, um, Gerard Butler, Toby Kebbell, as we were saying earlier. And yeah, man, that guy Richie, right? And brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. So, yeah, man, those are our two suggestions for today. But, yeah, man, bro, it's been real, I think. Been a good one. Now, yeah, man, I'm going to have a good one. I'm going to go watch this Secret Invasion, and we'll talk about it next next week. I will try and not watch The Idol. That's what I'm going to do right now. (laughs) Let's go drop that in the chat that these guys have to watch The Idol. I want to see their responses. (laughs) Like, executive decision we've made. Scully's leaving the chat. That's what's happening. (laughs) Man's just going to say, what? But yeah, man. All right, cool. Ross, it's been real. Uh, It's been a good one. Love, man. Take care, everyone. Oh, here goes. Podcast Network.